series we started last week in the book of Ruth. And um, as you turn there, it's been a good week for us in Wodonga, hasn't it? We've had a lot of um, exciting things happen in our community. And I know, did anyone get to the opening of the freeway last Sunday? Great. Look at you all. It was good. I know some people went from the morning service and some spent the day there. I've heard it was a great time. And uh, we had a great um, time on Friday night. Our family went and saw many people at the Carnival. Anyone get to see that as well? It was great. So it's good to be in a community when there's so much great things happening, isn't there? And uh, who's been on the freeway yet? Anyone? Great. Don't we feel special, hey? We can get from here to Thaguna just like that. It's great. Well, let's read Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-laws prepared to, count, to, to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God My God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? For the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. We look forward to God speaking to us through his word as he does, even as we just read it together like that, we can sense him speaking to us through his word. Why don't we just pray together, church, as we gather here. God, this morning we want to thank you for all that you have given to us. God, thank you for your word, uh, for the hope that we have in our hearts and the love that we have to share what you've done in our lives with others. God, we just pray that you would help us to continue to think of others as we worship you and as we grow deeper and stronger in our love for you. God, we pray that the outworking of our faith and our deep commitment to you would be a determination to give to other people, to share the faith that you've given us to tell others about you. And God, this morning, as we're about to hear more about our mission trip to Mangochi, God, we pray that you would help us to have open hearts and and open minds for you to speak to us about how we can respond, whether it be praying or whether it be going. And God, we continue to pray for the work that is going on in Malawi, in Africa. God, we pray for those that are serving and ministering there. God, we pray for the Yao people. We pray for open hearts and a real response to the gospel in their lives. And God, we continue to pray for our city too. We realise that right around us in Wodonga and the regions around are people that are far from you. God, would you help us to always live every day remembering that the blessings that you have given to us, the love that you've poured on us, the passion that we have just for life, is what you want everybody to experience and to know. That's why you sent Jesus. God, give us hearts that just long for our uh, friends, for our neighbours, for our families to come to know you uh, so fully and so totally that their lives are dedicated to you. And God, we want to just thank you for Albury Baptist. We want to praise you for uh, this church that has really begun again with, with new life and vibrancy. God, we thank you for the uh, things we hear about the strength and the growth of this church. And God, this morning we just want to pray for Kerry Schubert as she leads the church in Albury. Oh God, we just ask that you would continue to strengthen her and uplift her. And God, we pray that that church would be uh, like a, a city on a hill in Albury and that many, many people would come to know you through, through this great work and this great church. God, thank you uh, for all you're doing there. Continue to bless Uh, them and continue to bless us as we serve you together in this region. God, our hearts are open now. We're ready to hear more of what you have to say to us right through this service. So speak, Lord. Your church is listening. Our hearts are open. Uh, Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark Docking is going to come and share with us. Well, we're in the second week uh, looking at Wise, making wise decisions. And at night, we're in the second week in 1 John. 
So I just want to encourage you tonight, a great service is in store, Phil's speaking, and you'll have some uh, really great uh, worship and a, and a great time of fellowship too tonight. Um, making wise decisions. I remember uh, some people have said some things in my life that seems really wise to me. You know, it's advice, people have given advice to me. Um, my uh, granddad, he, he once in one sort of moment when I, his grandson, you know, probably about, I was probably about 10 or 12 years old and I remember looking at him and him looking at me and it was one of those moments where his wisdom just seemed to flow and he said to me, he said, Jonathan, life's a cinch by the inch, hard by the yard, walk, don't run. And I sort of said, what? You know? <laughs> and he, he repeated it again, and then I thought about it. Life's a cinch by the inch, hard by the yard, walk, don't run. And I thought, that's good advice, good advice. And my dad, one time while exam time was coming along and I was playing uh, around more than I should have, he said, uh, if you don't prepare to pass, be prepared to fail. I thought, Good words, Dad. Wise words. So I stewed them over. And, you know, uh, today we're thinking about making wise decisions and we're wondering, where do we get that advice? You know, they, kids aren't usually the best place. It's usually good to go to the Bible. But they asked some kids some, for their wisdom on some issues. And they said, uh, when is it okay to kiss someone? And uh, they asked Pam, age seven, and she said, when they're rich. <laughs> And then they asked Howard, who was eight years old, when it's okay to kiss someone. And he said, well, the rules go like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's just the right thing to do. <laughs> Good old Howard. Uh, when someone said, hey, asked kids, they said, is it better to be single or married? And Anita, age nine, said, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> And then one of the wisest kids I reckon I've heard, Ricky, age 10, when they, when they asked, asked this child, how do, how do you make marriage work? Ricky said, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could get some kids up here today and give you some advice about making wise decisions. But the best place is to go to God's word, isn't it? And we're looking today in the book of Ruth, and it's not, it's a different book. It's a narrative. It's an Old Testament narrative. And it's not like where, where Paul might just, uh, or, or Paul might teach us some things that we just need to learn and know, or where Jesus might say, you know, uh, give us advice like love your enemies. And we just say, well, he's asking us to love our enemies. We better love our enemies. It's narrative, and there's stories. And, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't read into every action something that God's trying to tell us because often they're telling a story. And we've got to look for some of the things that we might learn out of it, but it's different to teaching us directly the things from God's Word. But today we want to look and we want to pick up where we left off last week. And you remember just in those first five verses, there was just so much information that we, that we got. Can you remember? that it was the days of the judges, 
Remember, it started off saying about the days of the judges and we heard about all the immorality and all the things that were going on there and how people were turning away from God and it was just out of control. And then we, we read that Elimelech, who means my God is king, that's what his name means, left Bethlehem, which was the house of bread, for Moab because there was a famine in the house of bread, Bethlehem. And so he left there and he took his wife and he took Marlon and Killian, his two sons, and they went to Moab and they arrived there. And, you know, we, we looked and we said, hey, here's Elimelech, my God is king, leaving the house of bread where God was supposed to provide and look after him and care for him. And he leaves that, moves out under the care of God, who was, you know, obviously bringing about some judgment on, his, on the people in a time of famine. And he moves out from that and says, I'm going to try and make things happen myself. And he goes over to Moab. And as he arrives there, it's not long before you know, Elimelech, Naomi and the two boys see Elimelech died. He dies in the land, Moab. And the two boys marry Moabitess women and we knew that they were warned against doing that. And before long, 10 years later, after not having any children, which is also not good news for them, they die, the two boys die, the husbands die. And Naomi is in the land of Moab and she's got her two daughter-in-laws who are Moabitesses, so she's in a foreign land over here with two women and she's destitute. I mean, there's no other way to, to put it. In that time, you know, men ruled and they were the ones that got the income and had the, had the roles in society. And to be a widow was tragic enough. But to have two women, no sons with you, was terrible. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a terrible situation. Remember, we, uh, we looked last week and we said, you know, the one thing that we can take from this is when it comes to making wise decisions, like Elimelech made that decision the easiest appropriate sort of way, the, the thing that seems the easiest decision to make is not always the best. And Elimelech sort of chose, it seems, to move out from under God's care in Bethlehem where he was supposed to care for his people and look after them. And he moved to Moab. And we said, making wise decisions is not always picking the best one. It's doing what God, the easiest one. It's doing what God wants no matter how hard it can be. You remember all that? Great. Well, now we come to uh, verse 6, and it says there uh, about Naomi that when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. I don't know about you, but it wouldn't take me much thinking to actually realise it's time to go back, you know? Uh, look what's happened since we've left the house of bread uh, since we've left Bethlehem. And for Naomi, she'd lost her husband, she'd lost her two sons, and she lost, uh, and, and all she had now was two Moabitess girls. So she says, there's food back there, I'm going back there because here I'm going to die. There's no one who's going to look after me. I'm a foreigner in this place. I'm going to starve to death. I might as well go back to my home where at least maybe someone will take pity on me because I've lost all my family. Maybe someone there in my hometown will give me food. So Naomi uh, makes a decision. And when it comes to making wise decisions, I think we can look here and say, Naomi's decision that she makes here is full of practical wisdom. I mean, she doesn't go uh, fasting for 40 days. 
She doesn't, you know, um, go all uh, on a hill somewhere to seek it. She makes a logical decision. She looks at the situation and it seems and appears a wise decision based on all that has happened. She doesn't need much convincing. And uh, she, she's, she does that here. She looks and she says, well, I don't have anything here. My husband's made the decision to leave from Bethlehem in the first place. And look what's happened. Now I'm the one that's responsible for making the decisions and God's providing bread back in Bethlehem. I'm going home. Now, this is kind of the second principle I just want us to look at when it comes to making decisions. You know, first one last week, you know, the easiest way is not always the best way. In fact, often the tough decisions, the delayed gratification, the trusting now, even when it's hard, will lead to God being able to bless you in the future and help you through that. But here, the second principle is just simply this. God gives you brains. Use them. You know, it's not, it's not uh, rocket science, but he just wants you to make decisions that are wise and that are thought out and that are sensible. You know, um, that's why he gave you the ability to, uh, you know, look at the circumstances and make decisions. And here, Naomi shows practical wisdom. I, I just think for you and I this morning, I think this passage could just, this part here, how Naomi just thinks this through and says, let's go, it makes me remember that, hey, uh, sometimes making decisions isn't all that hard. It's just using my brain wisely. Um, you might um, ask yourself, you know, what decisions that is God asking me to make right now? And is it obvious? You know, is it really obvious what decision God wants me to make? You know, like some people might be saying, oh, I don't know whether I should leave my wife for a you know, younger woman. And you think, what, what are you even thinking about that for? You know, just use your brains. In the Bible, it, it clearly says that you shouldn't do that. So don't just do that. Just be wise. Use your brains. Oh, should I do this? You know, if the, obvious is, if the answer is obvious, God wants you to do it. And you might think, well, Jonathan, that's all right for you. You've been to Bible college for crying out loud. You've probably got different Bibles and you've read that and you know a lot of people who are Christians. What about me? You know, I, I, I say the answer to you is you've got a Bible too. And how do you become wise? Well, just read it. Read it regularly. Read it daily. You know, um, there, there are many ways that you can become wise, but the best way to have a godly wisdom is to read his word every day and spend time uh, in the scriptures and saying, God, what are you wanting to speak to me today? This year as a church, you know, remember we gave out all those um, soap books for us to read. And if you're reading along, we're right up to the end in Deuteronomy. And every day we open up and we say, well, now, God, uh, speak to me. Please speak to me as I read. And we read right through the passage. And then at the end, when we finish reading, we, we sit down and we write, uh, under, we, we underline while we're reading something that we feel God might be saying to us from the passage. And then as we have underlined, go back, we write scripture, uh, observations, S-O, we're spelling soap here, observation. And, and we say, God, this is what you did to them and this is how you treated your people there. You know, gee, I, I, I don't want to be treated like that. I'm going to live this way. Then application, how does it apply to me? And then we pray. And I've been doing that this this year, all the time. And I, and I find that God's speaking to me constantly in my life. Thinking, how do you get wisdom? 
Let's just read God's word. Some of you might find uh, Proverbs. You know, Proverbs uh, has 31 chapters. I'm reading a chapter a day. They're all uh, Proverbs, wise, godly sayings. And you can look up Proverbs and you can find one, you know, every day and look at it and say, God, uh, today would you help me be wise as I just reflect on your word? Naomi makes a decision. And Naomi, who has come from the house of bread, who is uh, someone who's a godly woman, an Israelite, she's someone who's, you know, from, from, from Bethlehem, and she's been someone who's been trusting in God all her life, and she now comes to this point where she makes a decision. She's been wise, and she does that. Another way, if you don't know and you've got to make some decisions, just speak to some other wise people, people who have been reading their word regularly. Talk to them. That's how you can gain wisdom. Read the word daily. Speak to wise people and make the decision that's just most obvious that God's wanting you to make. As we continue on, she walked along the road and we kind of see this vivid picture uh, come now. In the first few verses, in the first verses, we've just had, you know, information after information, broad sweeps. You know, we hear someone dies, another one dies, 10 years here, and then all of a sudden the passage sort of just slows right down to a halt in activity. They're on their way back down the road, moving from Moab, just leaving Moab, coming towards uh, on the road to Bethlehem, and the writer stops, and we get right in to hear this conversation taking place. And we're told about this conversation in graphic detail, and the, and the writer just wants us to see what's going on. And the way he uses it, he doesn't say, this is what um, this one was feeling or this one was thinking. He just uses dialogue, and the way that they talk to each other sets up what's happening in the conversation. And, and look at Naomi's logic uh, and the way she talks to them here on the road, to the two daughters-in-law that are with her. In verse 8, they were going back and she says to the two, two girls, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Don't come with me, she's saying. Go back, go back. And she blesses them and she says, may the Lord show kindness to you. What she's saying is, is may God bless you in the land. Don't come with me. Stay back here and may God really bless you. What she's saying is may you find security in the home, of, uh, in, in, in the home where you come from. May you find the security that you won't have by coming in me, with me. May you actually go back to your mother's home. May you find her place in the land and stay with her. And may you find other husbands to marry you from your own people, other people from Moab to marry you. And may they provide a good future to you. And may God really bless you as you stay here. Naomi doesn't want to inflict on these two um, daughters-in-law the pain and the suffering and the hopelessness that would come for them from staying with her. She'd be leaving, they'd be leaving their own people and their own gods and their own place and going with Naomi. She's saying, don't even think about coming with me. It's too painful. And they kiss and they weep loudly. And verse 9 says, uh, it says that they did that. They cried. There's grief. There's sadness. There's awful tearing apart as, as the prospect of leaving Naomi comes to the girls. And I think they are starting to know together that really uh, this is what must happen. And the agony here that's going on, they realise this is best and there's the weeping and the kissing and they're feeling pulled and they then say, no. They say, we'll go back with you to your people. In verse 10, we're going to return with you. We're going to stick with you. 
But Naomi will not take it. She, she comes back and she starts to give them now all the facts, the logical reasons, the, the practical wisdom back at them. And she says why they should leave her and not stick with her. She, she wants them to know that it's not going to be beneficial for them to come with her. Look at verse 11. You know, why? Why go with me, she says. Uh, you know, I can't bear you any more sons. Uh, you think I'm going to give you sons in my old age? That's ridiculous. I'm too old. Plus, I don't have a husband. And even if I was to get a husband tonight and I was to bear children, you know, look, even if I were to do that, then are you going to wait until this child grows up so that he can then look after you and be old enough for him to marry you? See, there was a, a law that said if a man died, then his brother should marry the widow to help provide for her. And that's what they're saying there. You, you know, you're going to wait till the, till the child that I have, if it's a son, grows up. And, you know, she's saying, don't you realise how hopeless this situation is? You're going to hang around for that long without marrying and waiting for me? Even if you would wait, you know, how, how, how can you do that? And she says... Turn back, go, this is silly, this is ridiculous, it's silly. And with all her convincing, I can feel almost, you know, Orpa on the road thinking, she's right, she's right. I'm not going to get married if I stick with her. I'm going to go back to this foreign land. And she says, I'm not, you know, I don't think this is going to be right. And Naomi then gives her the final blow. She says, the Lord has... His hand has gone out against me. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. Don't stick with me. Don't you come near with me. She's almost saying, God hates me. I'm, I'm lost. Look what he's done. My husband's gone. My two sons have gone. I've come out of this land. I'm lost. Don't hang around with me. Get away from me. God's against me. I don't think she got it right. But that's how she really felt. And I think when we're facing grief and, and suffering and going through really tough times, can't it just sometimes feel like that, that God's, God's against you? Um, but when you think about it, even in the midst of that, facing such grief, she wasn't the one who decided to go to Moab. It was Elimelech. And then now she was the one who was returning and deciding to go back when she had the chance. She didn't have anything to do with all the rest of the things that had happened if they were from God's hand. Some of of you people here this morning might be thinking, wow, Jonathan, look back at my last few years and I think so many things have gone wrong in my life. Maybe one thing after another you've found has gone wrong. You might be tempted to think, wow, God is against me. God's got it in for me. You know, you might think as I look back on my life, there's been suffering after suffering. Things have gone wrong and you might be tempted to say, don't hang around with me. Stay clear of me. God's got it in for me. You know, and I don't know all your situations. And... um, you know, I think some of, sometimes there are people that just willingly uh, start out on the road to say, I'll follow you, God, wherever you go. And then they say, but hang on a minute, I'll take these things into my old ha- own hands or I'll t- 
turn against you in this area and I'll walk away this and they go out of God's care and then consequences naturally flow. You know, God doesn't, uh, isn't always there like he was for them because they've turned their back on him and they've walked away. And sometimes that's right. Some people outright sin and the consequences of that sin catch up with them. Then there are times when we go through suffering and pain and it's got nothing to do with us. You know, maybe it's the pain of someone we, the, the suffering of someone we married or our kids going crazy. And, you know, it, it really wasn't us, but we're faced with all these things anyway. It might not be your fault. And at that time, God's not against you at all. It's time to remain faithful to him in the midst of the suffering and the pain. And I think this is what Naomi does here. Even though she's in suffering and pain and greatly grieved, and even though she feels the Lord's hand has gone against her, she makes the decision to move back under his care and do what he's wanting her to do. She says, even though, even though I'm going to trust him anyway, I'm going to stick with him, even though it feels like his hand is against me, I will never turn from him. Whatever your situation today is, whether you sense you're the one that moved from him in the first place or whether you feel like you never moved from him but things are going bad, stick with him. Look at Naomi. In the midst of the pain, she said, I will never, never continue off doing my own thing. I'm going to return, even though it feels like the Lord's hand is against me. And Naomi is now giving her her daughters permission to leave. She's saying, look, I've made this decision to come back, but please don't do that. And Orpah, as she looks at it, she says, okay, I'm going. And she turns back and we're not even told that she returns to Moab. She just drops right out of the story from now on. And, you know, the, the writer's careful not to say that there's anything wrong with that decision at all for Orpah, but she did turn and she went back. She, she made the logical right decision in her situation. But then we're told there's an opposite thing. She cries and they hug and she goes off down the track. But in the very next sort of words, the scriptures say that Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to Naomi. She grabbed hold of her and she wouldn't let go. The kind of word here that's used in the Hebrew is, is the same word that is used in Uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 where it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They will cling. They will leave each other. They will become united. This is kind of what Ruth does. She holds on to Naomi and she clings to her. And Naomi's not finished though. She's stubborn, Naomi. And she continues now to use Orpah as an illustration to, to Ruth and And she says, you know, look at her. She's going back. She's taken the opportunity. You're missing your chance. Quick, make the choice. And this sort of brings out of Ruth this response. You know, she hadn't been saying anything, but she's forced because Naomi's continuing to put the pressure on her. And she says these words which have become uh, sort of timeless and, and so well known by so many. In verses 16 to 17, But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. 
where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. In all of the scriptures, it's hard to find such love and such commitment expressed deeply from one person to another. Ruth makes a statement that says, enough, don't ask me to leave you anymore. Don't ask me to turn back because I'm going with you no matter what what happens. I'm going wherever you go, wherever you move. If you stay here, I'm going to stay. If you go, I'm going to stay. If you live over here, I'm going to live there. I'm going to be hanging around with you, Naomi. You're not going to get rid of me. Even where you die, I'm going to die. They die, bury families together um, in plots in those days. And she says, I'm going to do that. And she says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God right up until death. Only then will we be separated. I'm going to be with you all the way through. I'm making an oath before God. Now, I want you to notice that Ruth has shifted in her allegiance in the story already. She's totally devoted to Yahweh, to the living God, to the Lord Almighty. You can see by this that she's saying, Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And then she uses the name Yahweh. May the Lord, may the Lord God deal with me, be it ever so severely. This is her God. She's made a commitment totally to follow God with her whole life. You know, how did that happen? My guess is that she'd been observing her mother-in-law, don't you think? Like seeing Naomi and seeing her decisions in the midst of grief and her willingness to accept this and, and to, uh, to still obey God, even in the midst of the pain, must have had a profound impact on Ruth and she must have wanted what Ruth had, what Naomi had in her life. To make this bold statement of commitment to her must have come from a deep faith that would say, I want to stick with you and your God. Naomi's in deep sadness and she's telling all the reasons why she's lost and why she's gone and why it's finished for her. But while she's doing that, little Ruth is there and she's lost so much already. She's lost her husband. She's a Moabitess and she's about to go to Bethlehem to a foreign place. She's lost her uh, the, 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 her land, the people that she was with, and she's going to be a foreigner. And people won't want to marry her and they won't want to look after her and care for her. But she knows one thing. She knows Naomi and she knows her God. And she knows that that's all she needs for the future. If she's trusting in her God, no matter what the circumstances, no matter where she is, She's going to follow. She's going to follow him. You know, one of the wisest decisions uh, anybody can ever make is to put their trust wholly and completely in the living God, uh, to, to put your trust in him um, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the pain that you're facing, 
regardless of the difficulties that you're in. The fact that Ruth does this in the most desperate situation shows that being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, is not just you know, coming to him when everything's fine and your life's all sorted out, but in the midst of despair, turn to the living God and put your trust wholeheartedly in him. And you can face anything knowing that God is with you right through it. A wise decision Ruth made. I think she must have been watching and seeing the way in which Israel's God had worked and how he'd been working in Naomi's life and in the people. And she walks on from this point, committing herself no matter what happens to Naomi. I'm going to be with you. Have you ever done that? I mean, have you ever said, God... I've seen what's been happening in the lives of other people, people that might have been suffering you know, the most incredible pain, losing their job or facing operations or in the midst of difficult times, and I've seen how they put their trust in you, and God, I want that for my life. I want to put my trust in you. Have you made that decision? I just want to ask, what's, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from doing that? It would be the best decision that you ever made to put your trust in the living God. Well, what would you do if you were in Naomi's situation and someone had just said, I'm going to stick with you forever, no matter what? You know, maybe you get teary and cry and give a big hug and get out the camera and have a photo or something like that. Well, you know, Naomi doesn't show any signs of appreciation at all. In fact, she's so full of grief and despair in, 19, in verse 19, it just says that the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem and the whole town was stirred because of them and the people um, that came out and they said, wow, is this Naomi? So all of a sudden we move from just leaving here. She says this statement, next thing we're back right at Bethlehem and they're coming in to the place. Just a quick jump from there. And uh, they say, is this Naomi? And Naomi says... Don't call me Naomi. Remember, Naomi was pleasant. And she told them, call me Mara, bitterness. You know, that's what you should call me. Because the Almighty has made life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. You know, she doesn't see that there's any good that's happened. She's gone away full. She's come back empty. The thing's... The thing that I really like, though, about Naomi, and I just find her so endearing, is that she is real. You know, she doesn't sort of... Uh, she's real and honest in the midst of her suffering and uh, in the midst of her pain. You know, she doesn't just grit her teeth and go, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You know, she's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's gone away full and come back empty. All she's got left is one daughter-in-law named Ruth and she's not about to sing, I've got the joy, joy, joy in my heart. In fact, the opposite is true. She's ready to lay all the blame squarely at the feet of the Lord Almighty. And she's, she's telling God, you know, you're the one, God's the one that's afflicted me. He's the one that's brought this misfortune upon me. You know, the thing I, I like about it is she takes it, the stuff all her feelings to the very right place, to the foot of the Lord Almighty. Have you ever met people who sort of 
have a bad day and they take it out on their kids. You know, they kick the dog, they have a go at the cat, they blame their husband, they blame their wife, and really, they're just having a bad day. Why should they suffer? You know, Naomi lets the girls go. You know, she says, go, go, please. You know, I don't want to put this on you. I don't want this other, I don't want to cause anyone else problems. Stick away. You can go with dignity and leave me. She doesn't blame them. And she comes back and instead of saying, oh, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing, she says, God is against me. God's afflicted me. She goes right back to him. And, you know, she's in a good spot when it comes to the Bible. Because, you know, the Psalms of David has him crying out and lamenting and saying, God, where are you? God. You know, Job, in the midst of his suffering, cries out to God. Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Naomi knows that if there's anyone that can help her through this, though, It's God. She never lets her trust move from him. She just lets her know that she's, you know, he's afflicted her. And she says to herself, I'm going to stick with you, God, because I know there's nobody else I can turn. And, you know, whatever you're facing, whatever you're in the midst of, the best person to talk about it with is God, to let him have it. To, to wrestle it out with him and say, God, God, please, please be with me in this. Please help me. Please, I need you. Put your, give him your trust to give him your conversations, to sing laments to God. She doesn't even realise uh, Ruth next to her. You know, in these last verses, Naomi's the the one, and uh, she doesn't talk about Ruth next to her. She just addresses all the people. And Ruth is walking behind and they walk into this new place together and Naomi can't see any good coming back. But I want you to notice the last verse, verse 22. And even though Naomi didn't quite realise it, things were starting to turn around in her life. Verse 22 says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem, and here's the little thing our ears are to prick up at, as the barley harvest was beginning. It looks like there's uh, bread in the house of bread. Again, the harvest is coming. Ruth was with her, and the barley harvest was beginning. God was going to fill the empty again. Empty Naomi was going to be filled again, it looked like. You know, you should know that Ruth, the Moabitess, was next to her. The one that was insignificant at this time, the one who'd clung instead of running away. Do you know what? This Ruth would be one who would eventually marry and would give birth and her line... Out of her line would come King David, the one that would be the king of Israel, the one who out of his line would come Jesus, the Son of God, your saviour and mine. On the road they were talking together. 
Elimelech had made a poor decision. Naomi was using all her logic and all her reasons. And the girls, you know, Orpah made a decision to go. But in the midst of all these untold odds stacked against Ruth and no reason, she said, I'm going to follow you and your God no matter what. And God was able to use this little girl to change the whole of redemptive history. Today, you and I can put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ because Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. A commitment to love. Even in the midst of that time, God used incredibly. I wonder today, are you making the kind of decisions that stick wisely with the living God? in everything that you do. You're trusting in Jesus Christ. Uh, As a result of this woman of faith who obeyed God, Jesus sent his son into the world. And his death means that you can come to know him and have life. Like Ruth, would you say afresh to God? Uh, There are so many things that can lead me away from you. There's so many decisions that I could make in my own strength, in my own will. There are so many things that I could do rationally and reasonably without looking to you. But I don't want to do that anymore. God, I want to give you my life, my everything. The first thing comes in putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, I would urge you to do it today. If you have, but you've never taken a public stand and been baptised... Make that decision. Use your, use your brain, you know. Make the decision. Say, you know, in the book of Acts, they just believed and were baptised. If you've done that and you've, you've never become a church member and committed yourself to saying, you know, hey, this is my church. These are, these are your people, God, and these people now are going to be my people and I'm going to commit myself to being with them and journeying with them no matter what, then make that decision too. Make the decision to turn off some of the habitual rubbish that you might be watching on TV or listening to the advice of people that are you know, not, not honouring God and start listening to God's wisdom and his word every day. Start living for him no matter what. Why don't we pray together, shall we? God, I pray that this church family, all the people that are gathered here today, people that uh, have come to hear your word would make wise decisions today. Oh, God, I pray that you'd be stirring in our hearts to make the decisions that you're asking us to make no matter how hard they are. And, God, that you would use our surrendered and yielded life for your purpose for eternity, that you would change uh, lives through our decisions too. God, as we give our lives afresh to you, we pray that those that you're calling to, to put their trust in you would have the courage to do that today. Those that need wanting to be baptised would, would say, yeah, that's what I want to do. And those that want to take the next step in membership would do that as well. And God, we just want to honour you in everything that we do. This is our prayer. Wise decisions every day as we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.